everyone. My name is Melody Jones Pointed. And I'm the Reverend Thomas Dobermuth. And we are excited to walk the Sunrise Road together today. The Sunrise Road podcast is a podcast with conversations that connect and weave hope into the fabric of our shared lives. Thank you for joining us. And here's this week's conversation. I am very excited today. Our guest today is Dr. Stan Kresslet, um, who I know from my time as an exchange student from Switzerland back then uh, in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Dr. Kresslet is Professor of Christian Missions, the R.H. Royster Professor of Christian Missions at the Union Presbyterian Seminary. And some of you listeners may have met him or heard him uh, here at Eastridge a couple of years ago. I think it was in 2016 where uh, the Ethiopian Mission Network Conference met here uh, in our congregation. And uh, Stan gave a presentation on the Islam and the history and development within Islam to our congregation. And uh, I, as with many of our folks, remember that uh, time with us fondly. Um, we are just so excited to have you here this morning. Uh, and uh, I can't can't wait to hear where this conversation will go. <laughs> Lovely to be here. I only wish that we could be uh, uh, together in, uh, in Lincoln. That would be even better. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I just uh, want to start with, with one thing, uh, because we we uh, have been talking uh, on this podcast the last couple of times about evangelism and have now kind of turned into the topic of mission. And both topics are uh, big subjects and also kind of subjects that, um, what should I say, many mainline, mainline folks a little bit are ambivalent about or not quite sure what to think about it. Um, a, a little biographical note: I, my, my, my godfather was was a missionary in Indonesia. With, uh, uh, I think originally it was called the uh, China Inland Inland Mission, and then became the um, uh, Overseas Mission Fellowship. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so growing up, my, my godfather is, is is a big household name. I was very impressed that I had someone there, and I was um, I always loved getting special gifts that you would not get here like clothes or pieces of art um and he is an all-around wonderful person uh and 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 uh so i i kind of still understand why we so adored him but in the meantime also what what has happened is that growing up and through education i learned to understand mission also critically as as a outgrowth of um yeah the cross follows the trade or or, uh, or the sword or the the, the flag flag um so um and i've been struggling to kind of put these two words these two, these two understandings and concepts together um and i was kind of curious if you could help us um bring a little order in in this mess <laughs> well possibly <laughs> um of course, there, there really are two dominant narratives about mission uh, that are floating around. And uh, one of them, which was the dominant narrative up into the 1960s, uh, looked at mission as a benevolent enterprise, uh, selfless, uh, sacrificial, 
kind of extension of care uh, to other um, people who were not Christian. Uh, in the 1960s, another narrative developed, uh, which equated mission with colonialism. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of folk going back, looking at the record, um, uh, were very critical. And uh, people in university sphere uh, were very critical, anthropologists in particular, uh, critical of mission work. And um, then the figure of the missionary uh, becomes uh, reinterpreted as uh, not a benevolent figure, but an a malevolent figure, uh, someone who is acting uh, for their own purposes and for their uh, their own benefit, and um, many different ways that uh, that social power is exercised, and one of them uh, might be through the missionary enterprise. And so there are many, many studies uh, from the 1960s until the present. Um, where that is the dominant, uh, the dominant narrative. Mm -hmm. And so that's the university's narrative, but it also became uh, one that became uh, quite uh, attractive uh, to many Presbyterians and other mainline uh, Protestants. So uh, if you go into a, a PCUSA congregation these days, most people will want to talk about mission in terms of its colonial past and be very critical of it. There will be a fewer people, but some usually older people in the congregation that have memories like of your, um, uh, of your relative who was a missionary and a, apparently a wonderful person and uh, uh, maybe uh, quite uh, knowledgeable about the world and so forth, and and quite respected, and so there will be people who will talk in those terms mm -hmm. about mission. But that's kind of where we are right now: mm -hmm. is uh, these two competing narratives, and for people in the PCUSA and other mainline Protestants, we're not sure what to do with the legacy, um, because. We celebrate the fact that mission is how the global church came into being. But on the other hand, we're critical of some of the social processes um, that uh, work themselves out in the course of that history. So that's a lot of what I try to do, actually, is to try to um, engage with the history of mission with an awareness that um, it has many different facets, and these uh, different facets will appeal to different constituencies or different audiences. And uh, I think it's important to be in conversation with, with all different kinds of folk to talk about what mission is and what it has been uh, in the past. That's very helpful. Um, we have become very active with the Sudan, South Sudan Mission Network, and um, we are blessed to count as our good friends, uh, Sharon Candle, who is the regional liaison for the Horn of Africa, and um, Bob and Christy Rice, who are mission co-workers in South Sudan, will be joining us here in October, which is very exciting. Um, <clears throat> and we hosted the uh, Mission Network Conference last summer, and we're able to come together and 
and I find what you're saying is ringing true in me and my soul that at once there is this great excitement um, and sort of a humble, um, I don't know, like I want to say a humility with which we are engaging in work um, in in particular in the South Sudan um, as, as a denomination and a congregation, but also there is an awareness that we don't quite know what to do with. And there's kind of conflicting messages of like, this is, this is so great, but how are we doing this? And are we doing this the right way? And how do we walk alongside and not lord over and not try to change other cultures and other people and yet still be part of the same? It's very complicated, which is sort of what I heard you saying is that it's, we're not, we're still working all that out. We are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So in the PCUSA sphere of things, uh, the concept that has helped a lot of people is this idea of partnership. Mm-hmm. That mission is essentially an action uh, that involves a number of different um, actors. And that uh, there needs to be a sense of partnership in mission with the North Atlantic people not necessarily dictating the terms of the um, of the partnership. So meaning that Europeans and North Americans are not the ones who decide what partnership should be. Mm-hmm. But we try to be in uh, conversation with mission partners to determine uh, what it is that we might want to do and how we might want to do it. And Uh, What are the different roles that the different actors uh, can play? So that's been a a very important concept uh, for PCUSA um, as a denomination, I would say, at least since the 1990s. Um, It's been a kind of guiding concept uh, for us. Um, I've written about that concept uh, from time to time, and one one of my critiques is that uh, partnership tells you how you might do mission, but it doesn't tell you what you should do. Mm. And so this is like a means rather than a set of ends. And so that's when you get to things like uh, service or evangelism or uh, uh, care and compassion or some other thing, those are ends. And then partnership might be a means uh, to effect Uh, those ends. So that's why we have to be in conversation. And it's not up just to the North Americans to decide what the ends ought to be either. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really important to establish relationships as as you have done um, with folk in the the South Sudan. And uh, it's very nice also to think in terms of not just bilateral relations, but multilateral relations. Um, so that, for instance, uh, one might be working not just with an individual group in South Sudan, but one might be networked with a number of other organizations who are also working with folk in South Sudan. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's been another useful uh, concept, this idea of networking. Uh, and that's how a lot of mission happens uh, today. And that's been that's been true again for 30 years or so, 
we've had this idea of networking with other organizations. They might be other churches. They might be non-governmental organizations. They might be other religious organizations that we may have some things in common with and have uh, similar things that we would like to see um, furthered uh, in terms of, let's say, justice or in terms of uh, service to people in need might be possible to network with some other entities that are not necessarily Christian or not, not Presbyterian. So that's been a big part of, of I think, how mission has changed over the last uh, 30, 40 years, something like that. And that question, I, I mean, that's an interesting uh, critique that you mentioned there, that the the, the lack of definition of the ends uh, of mission. Um, you, I, I just noticed you said that's how mission happens. And, and again, the question is, so what, what, what's the goal? Where, where do we go what for end? it? And, and how do, how do we, how do we negotiate that? I mean, Yes, there is a shared tradition through our understanding of scripture. Um, Great Commission, uh, something like that, and uh, or or the the Bible's witness to justice, or um, but how do we negotiate that? Also, knowing that our partnerships are often also in a power dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true, and that's that's one reason why I think multilateral conversations are sometimes very helpful, because mm -hmm. usually in bilateral conversations, one party is much stronger than the other one, right? So if you're talking about the PCU, PCUSA in a conversation with a, with another entity in, in South Sudan or some other place, uh, often... Uh, it's the Western denomination that has all of the financial assets and is used to um, exercising those assets and making choices about how to use those assets based on their own needs as, a, as an organization and with an, with an ear toward the donors who give the money uh, for this and that sort of thing. And, um, and so often responsive. Uh, to to those voices more than we might be responsive to uh, other voices that are not sharing our our context. So that's why I think it's really important as you have have, have already begun to do or already been doing uh, to be in relationship, because it's only in relationship that you can really hear what other people think is important and the sort of goals that. Um, they might see that you might not perceive on your own, even if you went to go visit. You still might not perceive uh, some of these deep needs uh, that, that might be there and some of the long-term goals that people are envisioning uh, in their own context. And it takes a little while to, to be in conversation and to, and to uh, discern uh, together. But I think that's that's one of the gifts of mission is that it is a, a kind of framework within which those kinds of relationships can be nurtured. 
You know, just an intention to be in mission together is a very good starting point. And then the question of deciding what it is that you want to do together uh, can be can be worked out. Mm-hmm. So don't know if that if yeah. that hits the sort of things that you're you're thinking about or not, uh, Thomas. Absolutely, yes. I think that one of the things that has occurred to me as we've um, developed these relationships here <clears throat> as a congregation, um, and it keeps coming up and it's kind of a theme in, in a lot of these conversations about evangelism and mission is that um, these things don't happen immediately and and they're nurtured over time. These relationships are nurtured over time. Um, and some sometimes it seems to me that our lack of understanding um the other setting or the context of of the other may lead to some uh uh uncomfortable moments um and i'm i'm thinking in particular about uh what happened earlier this year in in the south sudan uh, with with the pope's visit and the, and the Pope visited and um, the moderator of the Church of Scotland visited and our PCUSA moder- moderator visited. And um, it was a glorious event for many in um, South Sudan. And, and the Pope definitely took up the the, the most of, of the news. Um, and, and he was he kept saying, Basta, this is enough. We've we've got to work together. Um, but it seems to me that one of the things I would maybe humbly offer is that um, while the visit was important and it helped South Sudan to feel like they were being seen, there needs to be some, you you can't just go and say basta (laughs) enough and, and then have things be different. I mean, there is a need for peace and reconciliation in South Sudan um, and in Sudan. Clearly right now there's a lot of violence. um, And I don't know that we, um, and I would speak as a, a white American in a mainline denomination that we always understand how to be a part of that in ways that are truly helpful. Uh, that is one of the advantages of having some long-serving mission persons. Mm-hmm. Um, because we often think about short-term mission as the as the way to go. It involves the most people and so forth. But it is often very helpful to have a few long-term people um, that are engaged and who help those who visit to read the context mm-hmm. and to help uh, hear what, what people may have to say uh, to them. Um, so, you know, the, the Catholic Church is in the middle of a huge process that they're calling um, uh, a synodical process, where there's this attempt um, uh, for the center of the church, you know, the Vatican and the papal bureaucracy and so forth, um, to be in a process of listening to the rest of the church. And it's almost like a follow-on to the Vatican II processes that were uh, launched from the 1960s. So um, 
Vatican sponsors um, uh, African synods, and there's been a series of them. And these are events where um, the Africans themselves, Catholic Africans, have control of the process. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a way to be in conversation for uh, whole regions of the continent to be in, you know, conversation with each other so that Ugandans and South Sudanese and uh, Ethiopian Catholics can be talking to each other. But then they're also in conversation um, with these European entities in particular that um, that are also involved. So. Pope goes and uh, he has ceremonial events, but I don't think Pope thinks that that's the end of the end of the conversation by any means. And um, you know his uh, own experience as a, a archbishop in um, in Latin America, he he knows how how these things might uh, might go on a local and a regional level, and. Um, I think he's trying to, um, as you say, give recognition uh, mm -hmm. to uh, the actual situation of people in South Sudan, say you're not forgotten. Um, but I think there are a lot of other things going on beyond the sort of ceremonial uh, visit. That may not always get reported in the news. Right, because it's not <laughs> as spectacular and uh, it's much harder to cover. Yeah. Because uh, your journalist would have to actually know something mm. about um, about the setting, and um, there's so few journalists now who have that kind of expertise, and so much of the journalism about the uh, world outside the North Atlantic is now just about these few individuals um, and what they say and do when there's all this reality that's going on at a local level, but you have to be able to um, be part of that experience to understand what's what's actually going on. And most journalists don't have time uh, to do that. Mm -hmm. And they're covering, you know, six different places at the same time and mm -hmm. living in Rome and jetting here and there and so forth, so. So really then our mission coworkers are a great place for us to be understanding what is happening um, in other other parts of the world where we're wondering, you know, what's what's really going on. Um, <clears throat> I know we get newsletters and and communication from mission coworkers um, who are living there alongside and and uh, working together with our partner mission partners. Um, so that's that's helpful for us to know. I think. That the expectation isn't that the moderator of the PCUSA went and toured around the South Sudan and now everything's fine. Our mission co-workers have been there and will continue to be there to work um, yeah. for um, peace and reconciliation in particular in uh, South Sudan. Yeah. yeah, which isn't to say that uh, they're, they're the sole means by which mission happens mm -hmm. in that place. But they're a kind of key node in uh, communication system. And then also they're a person who has relationships that most of us outside that context don't have. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, they can make, help make connections um, and that that can be really valuable uh, for everybody involved. That's a, 
a plea for supporting our mission co-workers and the long time memory and and um i it is that may be a, a rabbit hole but i mean in, in some ways i see there's a similar dynamic uh a play between the decline of news media and uh ways to find support long-time correspondence and um the support of missionland interpreters uh by for, for international partnerships we we think we can cover this through i don't know following people's social medias from uh out of uh, different kind of places and that makes up for that um for the history and for the complexity of, of a setting sorry that's just uh <laughs> a rant i guess <laughs> I, I didn't hear that as a rant i, I yeah heard that yeah. as a uh, thoughtful um yeah reflection so what do you, I, I guess go I, ahead Thomas. sorry go ahead no you go ahead no i i want to go forward to to future at some point but but um I, i'm i'm not sure if you had another one first before that no so so this these are some things that are 19th century mission and up to the 1960s and uh the critique of, of mission through the critique of, of colonialism and and all this uh societal changes um i think that's helpful to get some understanding and um but but how do we how do we uh moving in this new century how do we um further um is is there a place for mission and and how can we help how can we be actors in that because i think there are a lot of actors in there that i that i that don't that that gonna step in if we don't <laughs> yeah so um you know church churches um, have something to share that secular actors and people in other religious traditions uh, don't have to share, don't want to share. Um, there's a gospel message that the church has and can share. Church also uh, and folk related to the church um, have a commitment or should have a commitment uh, to live in ways that illustrate um, that gospel message, living in community with others who uh, share the same beliefs, but also living in community with others who are not uh, part of our faith community. And I think... Um, Church also uh, has an invitation uh, to share um, with people outside of the church uh, to become followers of Jesus Christ, to be disciples. So we can illustrate what discipleship might mean. Uh, we can share scripture uh, resources. And we can live in ways that are consistent with the message that uh, that we attempt to share. Those are things we can do that I don't think anyone else can. That's part of our mission uh, as a church. 
Our problem is, of course, that we're very diffident about sharing what's unique to the church because of the legacy uh, of, of our past. And so we're, we're often um, uh, sometimes even ashamed of uh, part of the history of mission. And uh, we're afraid of making the same mistakes uh, that our uh, previous generations have made. Um, but if you're going to step out in faith as a disciple of Jesus Christ, um, you, you are called um, to, to share that message and to live in those distinctive ways on the basis of that message um, with those with whom you uh, come, come in contact. So we can make that kind of um, uh, appeal as individuals, but uh, even more important is how we do that. Uh, as corporate bodies, so as congregations in Lincoln, Nebraska, for instance, uh, or other places in America, or in Cairo, Egypt, or South Sudan, or wherever. Everybody's watching. Everybody is thinking, what is different about this group? What is distinctive about this group and how they live? And so um, we're always on in that way, as, as corporate witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're always on. It's not just Sunday morning. And everybody's watching. How are they, how are they living? So um, part of what you, you asked is about, about the, the future. And... Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of the things that uh, that we might want to work on is uh, uh, being a little bit more self-reflective um, on the content and also the the um, uh, the means of mission and to reflect on 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 those and to do that together, knowing that um, what we say and also what we do is um becomes part of the message what i what i hear um and i may be reading this into what you've said but i think for us to imagine what the future of mission is and what that means um we need to acknowledge the past and and you said the the mistakes to be reflective on the mistakes um, as well as to um, understand with some humility where those areas are that have been good, because we have done some good things. Um, I would I would say, you know, there's been some good intentions and definitely some good work done. We have um, here from our congregation uh, to. Uh, members, um, one of whom has passed now, um, but who who were in Africa and India, and they were doing medical missions. And they tell this wonderful story about um, bringing in, uh, uh, I think it was um, Jim McGill's dad was coming and and was going to be the the missionary that followed them. And he was a medical missionary as well. And Paul Jewett was a doctor and said, well, this is how you 
you know, this is how you help someone who's having a baby. And he said, oh, I'm not that kind of doctor. And the Jewess just left and said, well, you are now, you know, I mean, so there's, (laughs) there's, there's definitely um, some in that sacrifice and in that mission activity that we, you know, we can't just dismiss it all. And I think some, as you said, some reflective sorting out of like, how, how have we, um, how can we lift up those areas? Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with Dana Roberts' book, Faithful Friendships, um, but yeah. she, but th- those, re- how can we lift up the friendships and the relationships? To me, the value of um, mission um, is simply being a connected church. There's value in being a connected denomination here in our um, country. There's value in being connected with other churches in other parts of the world and understanding that we're all in this together and and walking alongside together. How do we do that without demanding somebody else be just like us? <laughs> but, and, and for me, that's, that's the big question going forward is how do we engage in those faithful friendships? Um, yes. And allow ourselves yeah, to be changed by them. That's a wonderful book. And actually, the book is based on lectures that she gave at our seminary. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So she gave the Sprunt lectures um, mm. uh, one year and, and um, published them like the next year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I like the image of, of friendship uh, and, and still... Uh, um where i struggle is and every friendship has that the difficult conversations mm-hmm. and in what spirit do we approach those difficult conversations like when our mission partner based on the same gospel that our ancestors brought them teaches yeah. a uh an order that is highly pet- patriarchal for instance or homophobic or um um what do i do with um the belief in spiritual warfare of my mission partner and that is so strange to me and um and and so how how do how do i navigate that sense not to approach the conversation from a sense of moral superiority and yet it's still there <laughs> See, you you can um, represent yourself and your point of view at the same time that you're listening to point of view uh, that might be different from yours, and you can be in conversation about that um, without assuming that you've already reached the conclusion that they ought to draw. Mm-hmm. And see, that's that's one of the big. Um, factors is when we go into a conversation knowing how it ought to end right and uh even even some of these um uh ways of being in community that uh many of us in the west just uh can't countenance at all um it's still possible to be in conversation uh, with folk. And if we're in a true conversation, we might affect each other. 
and that we go into it with the idea that we might actually affect each other rather than always in one one direction. And that's that's a little something different than I think in previous generations where it was pretty much assumed that the West had worked it out and now we're going to share this product with you. Mm-hmm. And it it will uh, it will be accepted in the form uh, that that we that we have already uh, given to it, and I think in our situation, uh, postmodern situation, everything is fluid, everything is negotiable, and uh, everybody has a point of view that deserves to be heard, even if we don't agree with it. Thank, thank you for. <laughs> That's well, really messy. It's difficult. Sorry. Uh, no, no. That's. Um, thank you for saying because I I really believe that we we um, there is a sacredness and an openness of acknowledging that we need to change and that our relationship with someone else might change us, you know, and and going into it, um, and it does allow for a certain sort of messiness in the middle of listening to so many and i i happen to have thomas's copy of one of your books here <laughs> um and but but i i was wondering um i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that discussion and how that happens in the middle of other world religions um that it's you know this um interfaith dialogue and when you were here with us before you you um yeah. shared with us and still i would say the majority of what i know about islam came from from you and the fascinating parts about all the culture of you know carrying over and 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 it was just so so eye opening to to understand how do we have this dialogue this openness in this relationship with people of other religions without anticipating that we have something to offer and make them into. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's one of the possibilities is that we have a, again, a set um, conclusion, which is the conversion of the other to, to what we are. That's, that's one possibility. Another one um, that has, and, and I don't think we want to go there. Uh, another one that has often been operable is let's bracket all of the difficult questions and not talk about them, right? So if I'm in conversation with Muslims, I'm going to agree not to talk about the incarnation, not to talk about the Trinity, uh, not to talk about Jesus as a divine figure, right? And that even before we're in conversation, many people had have been um, uh, urging uh, people that want to be in dialogue with Muslims that you have to leave those difficult things out uh, of the conversation. My own feeling uh, is that as soon as you do that, you are less authentic than you otherwise might have been. That even Makes when you're rather into the conversation, points. you're not your full self mm-hmm. if you're bracketing out some of your core beliefs. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't go into the conversation saying, I, I want to project my beliefs on you. But I also don't want to negate who I am in order to be in conversation with you. Uh, and my own experience, uh, 10 years in Egypt, uh, speaking with lots of Muslim people uh, about Christianity and about Islam and so forth, is that people are quite interested to talk to people who are different from them. And that it's that it's not um, necessarily off-putting for people to talk about some of these core beliefs of Christians and to say, "This is what I believe. This is this is who I am, and I'm interested in knowing who you are and what you believe." And then let's talk some more uh, about some of these about some of these issues. And uh, there's some really great conversations that can happen, even as we bring our differences into the conversation. And that sometimes those conversations are much more satisfying uh, than ones in which uh, we're just going to uh, restrict ourselves to the easy things that we can agree on, even before we started our conversation. That those aren't those aren't very interesting conversations at all, and a lot of ecumenical dialogue, a lot of uh, formal ecumenical dialogue, uh, has been uh, conducted with this bracketing of core uh, core beliefs, because it was thought that that's the only way you could be in conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Let's assume we're all the same to start with, and that that may not necessarily be the most fruitful conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in part, we are all the same. <laughs> um, we're human beings. We have human needs. Uh, we, we are uh, affected uh, by social forces in much the same way. Um, but we might make meaning in different ways. Mm. And uh, it might be helpful for me to understand how you make meaning in your context and for me to share how I make meaning and uh, derive my self-understanding in my context. And we can share these things and we might learn, we might learn something from each other. That would be a lovely thing. That would be a lovely thing. Go ahead, Thomas. Go. I, I think we're 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 entering the 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 the, the finish line here, and I think that's actually a really okay. really good um, vote for the uh, for closing statement. I think. Yeah. I was just going to say that would be a lovely thing. In the same way, this conversation has just been lovely. <laughs> And I really, really appreciate you taking the time um, out of your busy schedule. You've got a lot um, coming up in in your life. So congratulations and uh, many well wishes on your future as you you look to end school years and academic years and all those other things. Um, Thank you so much. Your your work has been a gift to the church, a a labor of love, and and you can feel that. So thank you for spending this time and sharing it with us. I appreciate what you're trying to do with the podcast. And uh, my sense is that you're uh, creating something that can be shared 
within uh, the congregation and others who are kind of tangential to the congregation but are aware of what you're doing, and then perhaps some new friends out there. And uh, also it strikes me that the two of you, this is a way that you're getting to know each other better. Uh, as you as you bring up different topics and you have different uh, points of view uh, on those, and that's um, that's a beautiful thing too. We we still have a lot to discover about each other. You after te for ten years ten, of the same ten years of <laughs> ten years of of working together, and what we like uh -huh. to tell our people um, and point out is that um, we actually disagree about quite a few things. So. Um, we believe that 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 keeps our working relationship and and is a model. You know, we don't have to agree about everything in order to appreciate someone and get along with them and work together with them. So, um, yeah, we're uh, yeah. We we would love for this uh, conversation to be shared wide and to have new uh, new folks join this conversation uh, from wherever they they hear us or encounter us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Pleasure. you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sunrise Road podcast. Our podcast is hosted by me, Thomas Dubermut. And me, Melody Jones-Poynton. And it is edited by Vince Rule. The Sunrise Road podcast is a ministry of Eastridge Presbyterian Church. Please like and subscribe and leave a review.